Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, the co-founder and CEO of Bank Novo, a challenger bank for startups. We all get so caught up in our daily routines, and when you hear a story like this, it really puts things into perspective. Coming up, a conversation about what happens when everything in your life is flipped upside down and how to prosper despite it. Talking about perspective, last week was my baby girl's first birthday. The year went by fast and slow. By that, I mean I can't believe that she's already won, but in those moments throughout the day, like trying to entertain her for those last 30 minutes before you start the bedtime process, those moments go slow. And there's lots of times like that, <laughs> like how I talked about a few weeks ago, counting literally every second of an hour and a half long plane ride, which by the way, we're doing again this weekend, going to Park City again. Anyway, the reason I'm talking about this is because Elle, she has no idea about any of the pressures of life or our society. Her needs and wants, they're pretty basic. Eat and drink, sleep, play. She only knows how to live in the moment. So even though oftentimes it's hard work and listening to her cry is stressful, but when you're with her, you're reminded about living in the moment and what's really important in life. Is it important to work hard, try your hardest, and seek fulfillment through your career? Yeah, of course. But I've been working for like 10 years now. And when I look back at those times, I don't remember stuff from the office. Those aren't the highlights. What I do remember are the times with family, with friends, building relationships that will last me for my entire life. So when you can play with a baby or have your dog jump up on the bed and lick your face in the morning, it's a reminder that there's more to life than work, a lot more. And we all need to do a better job of staying present, living in the moment with what's happening and getting fulfillment from that because enjoying those moments is within our control. The rest of the stuff, the pleasing society stuff, yes, it can be achieved with hard work and determination, but a lot of it's outside of our control. It's dependent upon other people or other things happening. So like everything else in life, balance here is, is really important. It can't all be babies and puppies, but it also can't be all work and getting ahead in the world either. Michael's story today, it does an excellent job of refocusing things, a look at what is really important in life. Okay, that's it for me. Let's get into it. Michael, coming from New York. Thanks for coming on the pod, man. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Really happy to be here. Yeah, we've. I think we first spoke like 
maybe four or five months ago and back and forth, we're both, you're super busy. You've got an awesome fintech startup. We'll get into it, but, uh, glad we can finally sit down over the computer and do this. <laughs> yes, totally agree. Totally agree. Cool. So, uh, your startup now is called bank Novo and it's, uh, challenger bank for, for startups. We'll get into that later in the podcast, but you haven't always been a startup guy, right? Like you started working your career in traditional finance. Yeah, that's correct. I don't know what to tell people is I don't really have a typical startup founder background. Um, and that's been, you know, definitely, you know, I've had my fair share of hurdles. Let's just say that having the background that I have going into the startup and technology space. Yep. So let's, let's get into, I guess, the early days. You go to University of Miami, you graduate. What happens? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, before that, let's just even dial it back even a little bit more, right? So, like, I started working when I was pretty young. Um, not because I needed to. My parents were always incredible, incredible parents, but just because I liked having a little bit of my own money. Um, so I started working when I was 17, uh, worked all throughout, you know, high school and college, started working in finance when I was 19, uh, got my series seven when I was 19, uh, worked all throughout college while, you know, going full time. And then I moved to finance for working for a large money manager, um, in South Florida by the name of Bruce Berkowitz, the fair home capital, uh, fair home capital management. And I just kind of like naturally evolved into it, right? Like I, I wouldn't necessarily say finance was my passion, if you will. I just knew that I was pretty good with numbers and I knew it just came to me um, and I was pretty good at it. Um, so, you know, kind of, I just let it naturally evolve over time. So once I graduated as a senior in college and I started working for Bruce full time, I ended up staying there and I ended up getting promoted and, and I ended up, you know, getting raises year in and year out. And I was making a nice living. Um, but it was never, it never really sparked, uh, you know, the proverbial fire, if you will. It was more so, you know, just doing what I had to do in order to live, you know, the life I wanted to live as opposed to being driven every day at work and doing something that really challenged me. Um, so that's definitely a different perspective that I have on life just because I, you know, had worked for this company and I had been doing such awesome, cool, exciting things. Um, and I was working with Bruce all the time and it would have been very rewarding for a certain type of individual. Um, I didn't necessarily find it super rewarding for me because I always did want to launch a business. However, I never thought that, you know, there was the right time, right? I always thought to myself, Hey, I need to learn. I need to learn more or, Hey, I need to make more money or I need to meet more people before I do something on my own. Um, and that obviously that moment never really happened until, you know, I had this other crazy experience in life, um, which really put everything, uh, into perspective. Yeah. Michael, it's a, it's a good story because I mean, I think a lot of people have that comfortable job. It's a good company. You're getting paid well, you're, you're learning things are things are going well, but like, there's just something inside of you. I mean, I, I found this the same thing when I was working in investment banking, but you, you, there's just something inside of you that's, that's missing and you want more and you maybe you want to do a startup, but it's like, 
it's always difficult to shake things up in life, especially when you're super comfortable. I mean, if you were homeless living on the street, on the street, then like, yeah, obviously like you're going to do everything you can to make a change. But when everything's so good, like our brains just say, no, 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 like don't, don't change this. Like life is easy. Yeah. No, it's for sure, you know, the way that the brain works, the brain works to avoid discomfort. Yep. So Tell us about this. I mean, I already know what it is, but tell our, the listeners about this jarring event that uh, that shook up your world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, really the jarring event was a pretty monumental shift in, in, in my life where I went on a, you know, a ski holiday weekend with a few of my closest buddies Um holiday weekend in January, three-day weekend, went over to Colorado, figured out, take a red eye, you know, to be back at the office that Tuesday morning. We were on the way to the airport, and we actually got into a car accident within 10 minutes from the airport. Um, the weather was really, 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 really bad. Um, another car hit us. Moral of the story, uh, I got ejected from the car. Um, while wearing my seatbelt, uh, broke through my seatbelt, was ejected through the back right passenger seat window, was in a coma for 10 days, um, had to relearn how to walk in while also my best friend and roommate was in the front, uh, passenger seat of the vehicle was not wearing a seatbelt and was ejected through the trunk and died on impact. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, everyone thought due to the severity of of my of the accident and of the impacts that my brain withstood, um, everyone thought I was going to be a vegetable for the rest of my life, right? So as you can imagine, having great parents, you know, supporting you or a great family and loved ones by your side, everyone else was scared shitless, right? Meanwhile, I was there and I was just in la la land, having no idea where the hell I was. Um, and so when I came out of this coma, you know, about 10 days later, um, everything was new. I literally had to do and uh, effectively learn everything all over again, um, right? Like I couldn't shower myself. I had a nurse that needed to shower me because I was just so banged up from the impact of the road. I sustained a lot of pretty uh, heavy injuries, although, you know, I'm still walking today. So... Um, you know, I, that's why I have an appreciation for that often coined phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But I think that that, you know, this episode, if you will, really put everything into perspective, because I spoke about it a little bit earlier, saying, you know, I never thought that there was that right time for me to kind of take that plunge and launch a business. Having this event happen in my life or any other people's lives right? It makes you quickly realize that there will never be the right time, really, because life can literally vanish within a blink of an eye. Um, I don't remember anything from the accident. The last thing I remember is lying down on the back seat to, you know, close my eyes to get some rest before getting to the airport. And then the next thing I remember is waking up in a hospital bed about two weeks later, right? So it's like, when, when you look at life like that, and then you could literally be gone in a second and it literally doesn't have to do with anything that you do it may not be a result of anything you do or the efforts you put into life right but it's 
everything could be gone in the blink of an eye. And the fact that you don't leverage your time to the fullest, right, is is really, at least for me anyways, it was, it was a very daunting thing to embrace, especially when I got back and I, you know, had this miraculous recovery. Uh, the doctors say, you know, I defy every textbook that's ever been written on the injury. But, like, when I got back and I was like, holy shit, yeah, this accident happened this injury is usually insanely more complex um you know the recuperation process is usually way more intense um so i looked at myself in the mirror and i'm like what the hell am i doing you know i was was basically like why am i gonna you know keep doing what i was doing before and keep you know continue limiting myself into that similar capacity as opposed to doing that, you know, real underlying, um, burning uh, emotion that you have beneath you that you want to create something out of nothing, right? So that's really what the accelerant was um, behind me, you know, trying to figure out that next step. Wow, Michael, I mean, that's a it's an incredible story. I mean, just listening to that, it's, uh, wow. Um, so... I mean, I assume the recovery process, I mean, it sounds miraculous, but I'm sure it took quite a while before you were even thinking about doing work or what your next thing was going to be. I mean, I imagine you just had to be focused on on getting better yourself. Yeah, so uh, great point. Um, And the answer is, yeah, that's definitely how it should have been. (laughs) Um, But so I got back, so I was in you know, pretty intensive care in Colorado for about a month. Then I got back to Miami thereafter and I started doing uh, outpatient therapy for about six months in Miami. Um, while obviously, you know, meeting with the doctors all the time and the doctors were telling me, you know, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. you got to shoot lower. you got to shoot lower. Your life is going to be different now and that's okay. You can't, you know, aspire to, those same things that you thought you were able to accomplish or achieve before. And that's okay. And just be okay with that. Obviously I was not okay with that. (laughs) I told everyone to screw themselves. Um, and that I wanted to kind of uh, attain this new sense of normalcy and I wanted to prove everyone wrong. And so I really pushed my doctors back in Miami. I pushed them hard and I said, listen, I want to go back to work. So I think I went back to work at least my first few days. Like it was almost like ultra part time, um, like maybe a, two months after the accident, two months after getting ejected from a vehicle. I think I probably stepped my foot back in the office for the first time. Right. Um, okay. And then what was that like going back? Yeah, and that's the great. That's really the million dollar, uh, million dollar question, right? So, like, I was so quick. Well, let's take a step back. I was so uncomfortable, right? When the doctors told me, "Okay, you got to stay home, and you got to chill, and you got to relax, and you got to recuperate," and I felt very uh, hampered or very much constrained or. Uh, you know, limited by this other thing that happened to me that I didn't like it. I didn't like being tied down. 
And so when they told me, you know, when someone tells you not to do something, you probably do it. Um, so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Screw that. I want my new normal life. I want to go back to work. And so I started chasing that. And when I did that, and because I rushed it so much, right, that first day I was back, I just said, holy shit, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's when I had that man in the mirror moment where I was like, why? Like, why? Why? I almost had like this existential crisis where everything I knew kind of before the life I thought I wanted to lead, right? Or this, this life that I kind of envisioned for the rest of my life all kind of fell to the wayside, right? Because what happened by putting my entire life in perspective, right? What, what really materialized was all of the important stuff, right? Like the most important things in my life are the ones that kind of took center stage and then everything else just kind of evaporated, right? Like they didn't, they weren't necessarily huge focus items. And so that could be, you know, jobs. It could be, you know, things that I wanted to work on. It could be people. It could be contacts, could be friends, could be relationships with family members, whatever. Everything just got put into perspective in a way where, you know, the important things got a little bit more magnified and then the insignificant items just kind of fell to the wayside and they just became unimportant and I moved on. Um, but so with that in mind, that's what quickly made me realize like, holy shit, if I don't want to do this anymore, I got to find out what I do want. Right. And because it's almost like a blessing and a curse, right. Of having rushed to go back so fast against everyone's wishes definitely created a very uncomfortable situation wherein I was not happy with life or my job or things of that nature. But it also created kind of like that inflection point of like, okay, if not this, then what? Yeah. That kind of like sent me on this eternal search for the next step. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to figuring out, I mean, I cannot relate to the, to the car accident. And I mean, just going back to your old life, that would have been, you know, crazy enough, but trying to then figure out what you want to be doing in the world and then pursuing a startup. I mean, that's sounds incredible. Um, but for me, I mean, I worked, but do you mean incredible Alex or do you mean insane? (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, I mean, I can relate to the, to the first piece because, you know, I worked for, I'll call it 23 years of my life to get this job in investment banking. And then you get that job and then it wasn't right for me. So then it's like, I was pretty lost in the world of figuring out, well, what is right for me? What, what should I be doing? I mean, I've worked my whole life to get this and you get it. And it's, it's like a strange feeling. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head and I mean, I think this will probably be material for another podcast, but, uh, I, I don't think, uh, education does too good of a job of kind of setting us up for that. Um, because everyone kind of sets their goals, you know, after whether it's certain positions or certain industries or certain companies without really knowing like what that exactly entails. And from an educational institution standpoint, it's not super easy or clear how to communicate that to a student. Um, But it kind of like sets up the individual, whether yourself or myself, kind of sets us up for like a reality check at one point. 
And it's just a matter, it's almost like a testament to, you know, your own character of like, all right, you thought it was like that. It's not. What are you going to do about it now? And that's usually when you see people do some really cool and creative stuff, if they're able to uh, respond in a positive way. Right. So, you know, your life kind of had this outside of event, which really shook things up. It put things in perspective. You're able to, to realize what isn't right for you. So then, okay, now let's get into the next piece of it. How do you start to figure out what is right for you? Yeah, great question. Um, and the answer is not an answer that people on here want to know, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know for a really long time. Um, so what did I do? I literally just picked up anything and everything. I just started reading like crazy. I started talking to people in my network, started talking to friends of friends in tech. I just started, you know, really putting my feelers out there looking for different opportunities. I started getting involved in like the startup ecosystem in Miami. I started, you know, meeting with and talking with people that I never would have really interacted with before to kind of get me out of that, you know, the proverbial comfort zone, if you will. Um, and so that was kind of like the first step. Uh, I was always, you know, also being pretty meticulous on kind of like my own personal experiences and kind of like analyzing those for, you know, to see if there was any like silver lining for a potential uh, business opportunity or any sort of solution that I could have, you know, kind of implemented to make anything better along the way. Um, but one of the, and one of the other things that I found to be really important is just to not be beholden to, um, you know, kind of what you've always done. And I know that that's not really um, pretty normal advice. Usually people say, you know, kind of stick to what you've always done or innovate on what you've done or try to solve problems using what you've done. And I think there are certain things that you can leverage from what you've done. But for me, for instance, like what I'm doing now with Nova, and we can get to that in a little bit, um, does not necessarily leverage my exact skill set that I've developed in the last 32 years of my existence, right? Like it's definitely been a massive testament of willpower of can I figure it out and can I develop these skills faster, um, you know, than others can uh, in the same, in the same capacity. Um, and so that's the other thing of when taking the plunge is you just have to be ready for anything and everything. Um, and so I think that that was another, one of those just important understandings, right? I, I feel like I've said this a lot, but just circling back to not having that right time, right? An important understanding of taking this, you know, the proverbial plunge is just realizing that there, one, there obviously won't ever be that right time, but two, that you have to create that. You can't create that right time right then. You have to be able to learn every single thing possible in order to get you there, right? Like there have been so many things that I've had to do to build a company that I never, ever, 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 ever would have guessed that I would do. Um, you know, whether it be super menial things or, you know, just completely irrelevant time consuming items that I just had to do because I knew that no one else would do it. Um, so I'll kind of like fast forward. Um, I ended up leaving my job in finance we ended up, I ended up traveling the world a little bit. I thought an MBA was going to be my next step. 
So I moved to New York City about, uh, what is that, 2015, 2015. Um, I started taking classes at Columbia prior to enrolling in the MBA, cross-registered at the business school. And um, I had uh, some classes in the business school called Launching New Ventures. They were pretty cool. And, you know, trying to get uh, my, my entrepreneurial toe in the water, if you will, um, while shooting for uh, that graduate degree. And before, you know, enrolling in the MBA, I asked one of my professors, I said, hey, you know, I'm on the fence. I'm paying for the MBA myself. My parents aren't paying and corporations and sponsoring me. And we both know it's pretty expensive. Um, I'm, I'm having trouble, you know, making the decision whether I take that money and I get an MBA or if I take that money and I build a business. And the professor shot back, Michael, you can't tell anyone I said this. It's totally off the record. If you say anything, I'll just deny it. Don't get your MBA. Take that money, build a business, partner with someone to launch something, and you're going to learn way more and meet way more people than you ever would in the classroom. And so that was the end of 2015. Um, a week or two weeks thereafter, I reached out to my current co-founder, Tyler, and I told him, I'm like, hey, man, listen, I've got some money saved up. Let's just freaking do this. And coincidentally, at that point, we were speaking about launching something together in the fintech space. Right, chasing the idea of this proverbial startup bank um, because we saw what was happening across the pond with all the challenger banks and we were asking ourselves why the hell is that not happening over here in the u.s and so that's when we decided to really take the plunge do the deep dive commit 24 7 you know kind of building out the dream um all on on my with my mba fund and we've got a crazy, 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 crazy amount of stories to crazy amount of stories and battle scars to share, but I wouldn't have uh, chosen to do it any other way. Yeah, no, I love that. We are fortunate to get that gem of, of advice from that MBA professor. I mean, 2015 was the year I started my MBA. So we were kind of on the same thing. I realized I didn't want to do investment banking. I went to business school. Uh, and then I've been on this entrepreneurial path since then, but I totally agree with your professor who gave you that advice of, if you want to go work for a big company, then great. MBA is a good thing to get. It's kind of a must, but if you want to go start a business, you don't really need one and you can take that money and, you know, learn and fail and start and, and do. And so you've been, you know, building this thing for four years now. And as we were talking just before we started this podcast, it's like the media, our society, we really, really glamorize startups and like you read these stories about, you know, such and such company started three months ago and now they've raised a $2 million seed round and look how many customers they're getting and they're changing the world. In practice, in actuality, it's, it's not quite like that, right? <laughs> no, no, uh, definitely, 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 definitely not. I mean, for some probably, but, uh, for the, the majority, the vast, vast majority of people, uh, definitely not. I mean, yeah, the numbers are 99% of you know, new businesses fail but, or don't raise, don't raise a seed fund or something, but it's, uh, it's not quite that glamorous. I mean, there's 
lot, a lot. I mean, you as you were talking about some of like the tedious tasks you have to do and trying to convince investors. I mean, these are take long, long, long times, and it's, it's difficult changing behavior and building something from scratch. I mean, everything you're doing uh, is basically the most difficult challenges in business, all combined into one. The world's against you. Other companies are against you. Investors are against you. So it's like this huge uphill battle. Totally. No, 100%. You really hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, launching any startup is literally an uphill battle the entire time. Even when you have, you know, kind of wins along the way, you're still fighting uphill. Yep. So, I mean, I'd love to hear the business. You kind of alluded to it. You saw these challenger banks in, uh, in the UK. They they deliver a you know a delightful consumer experience, which is something you know banks traditionally don't do. And you know now, since to advances and kind of the fintech space, you don't really need one of these banking licenses in order to start a new bank. You can borrow someone's banking license, and you can build a experience that delights users and is a niche product that's targeted to a very specific set of users, and do a great job building products and services just for them. Yeah, so um, from a high level, Novo is uh, effectively a challenger bank that we've built in the U.S. to focus on the small business, focus on small businesses, startups, etc. Um, the reason why we chose small businesses is because small businesses have been underserved for a really long time. Um, it's pretty ridiculous um, because small businesses account for, I think, about you know somewhere around fifty percent of the GDP. Uh, they also account for, I think, so don't quote me on it, but somewhere around 30% of, uh, banking revenue, um, from the small business and the small business owners, uh, combined. So they make up a significant chunk of, you know, our economy and yet they have been so underserved for a long time. And so we ask ourselves, why, why, why is that happening? Um, and if you really think about it, it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense because the small business arena is incredibly segmented. It's incredibly fragmented. What makes sense to my small business might not make sense to Alex's small business, right? So for large banks to kind of sit around and invest millions of dollars and years of time into developing a product that could potentially become almost immediately invalidated by the market, it doesn't make sense for these big banks to do that. So that's what kind of gives us this small uh, window of opportunity and that's what we're what we're tapping into um so what we have right now is nova we launched our public beta in september uh we have what's called a small business checking account that lives right on the ios device so everything you know that you do with a regular small business checking account whether it be electronic transfers you know paper check payments customer service you never have to go into the branch. You can do it all right from your phone. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm super familiar with kind of the verticalized bank business. I mean, Pay Club is delivering a product kind of to another underserved audience, call it college students. And it's the same kind of thing. I mean, there's so many different types of college students, full-time, part-time, big school, small school. Um, but from a bank's perspective... It's all about customer acquisition cost uh, and then obviously lifetime value. The lifetime value of someone who opens a bank account with you is very, very high, but you have to get them at a cost that doesn't 
screw up that equation. And college students, generally people view them as very unprofitable. I assume banks view small businesses as the same thing. It's like, oh, there's so many of them, but like each one, one by one, they're, they're not that profitable for us. So like, we're not going to be able, be able to build a strategy to go, to go target them. So it's like building these, um, product features for user groups that have kind of been ignored by the traditional banking system. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally it. And, uh, I know there's a, an, an interesting, you know, tie in there you had with with college kids uh, yeah no it's super interesting so the one of the one of the other things that we really focus on a lot at novo is one of our core competencies or parts of our brand and vision is really this you know embracing this idea of the underdog right small businesses everywhere think they're the underdog right like how am i ever 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 going to be able to go up and compete with amazon how am i ever going to be able to go up and compete with any you know big tech company um, so they all feel, you know, that they have to get creative in their own rights in order to compete and stay alive and make a living. And, you know, I think there is uh, a similar type of creativity involved with, you know, the demographic that you just brought up with, with, with college students. And although, you know, right out of the gates, these um, entities or, you know, small businesses and college kids may not be as profitable, so to speak, um, the bets are that longer term they will be right, and it's the bets are you know cultivating that relationship with these people and empowering them um, with our product with your product is what should get them to that next level, um, which should make them you know a much higher value target, um, and that's something that we think of, something that obviously large banks struggle to think of, just because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for them. Uh, to think of it when they have all of that infrastructure already built out, right? So, like, they have, you know, their playbook that they operate by, and, you know, it's worked for them to to get to where they are, and, you know, we we operate a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, as you said, that that's kind of the pluses and minuses of a, of a startup is on the downside, yeah, you have to compete against massive companies that have tons of momentum and lots of customers and big market share. But on the plus side, you can focus on areas that they've underserved and be nimble and move quick. And that's things that big companies cannot do. Yeah. And like one of the, one of the case in points that we're super excited about is um, kind of this, and you've already alluded to it, kind of this, this, this sense of uh, banking by vertical, right? So like by different, either, you know, focus group or industry or what have you, right. Hyper targeting a certain segment of, uh, of the market and really creating a very customized approach for that segment. And um, that's something that we're going to be playing with uh, now with, with the recent fundraising that we just brought in. Yeah. Congratulations on that fundraising. And that's super cool that you get to go attack that problem. And it's a problem that I share. I see, I, I share your sentiment. I mean, in the past banks were about community. You got your bank based on, the bank that was in your town or the bank that was on your college, the bank your dad took you to and sign up your account. And then you just kind of stuck with that forever. Now everyone's going to have a bank in their pocket. So the community factor is gone. So what is, how are you going to pick your bank? It's all about products and services, highly, highly tailored to you. So if you're a small business owner, you'll have bank Novo and a suite of products and services that are 
super specific towards you. If you're a college student, you'll have pay club. If you own a farm, you'll have the farm app. If you I mean there's, if you're a college student or you're a teen, you'll have something like current maybe. But I mean, now there's going to be all these verticalized banks that build a super specific product feature set for a super specific set of users, which is really cool. Yeah. And I mean, you also brought in, you started off with a pretty interesting point as well, which I'd like to tap into. Um, just that sense of community, right? So like that is kind of where banking quote unquote came from, right? There was always at least maybe not with this new generation, but previous generations, there was this massive focus on community banks, right? Like you go to your local community bank and they would know you, like you would walk in, they'd be like, Hey, Alex, what's up? How are you? How's the family? How's the business? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And you would have that relationship with these community banks and it'd be great because there would be this personalized approach to banking that you wouldn't be able to achieve really anywhere else. And that's been kind of this, this thing that community banks always had for them that, that, that was, that was a value that they could do, right. That large banks couldn't do. Right. So if you walked into one of the larger banks, like Chase, let's say you'd walk in and you're a number like no one really knows who you are, what your business is or who your family is. Um, so it's, it's a very different product and service. Um, so with Nova, we have a strict focus on partnering with these community banks because our view is by us partnering with community bank, like our current partner, Middlesex Federal Savings in Boston, um, our entire thesis is let's bring back community banking, right? The sense of community banking, let's bring it back and take it to scale by, right? So let's scale out this personalization to bank relationships, um, right? And creating this really uh, personalized experience um, by leveraging our technology while offering them those services that they would be able to get if they were to go into that branch, right into that local bank branch where everyone knew their family. Um, so that's kind of one of those things that we're playing with. And our, our current bank partner, Middlesex Federal Savings, is really one of the most forward thinking banks, um, you know, we've ever come across um, because they get it. They see kind of where this is going, where banking is going as a whole, and they see how kind of us in collaboration are able to innovate a whole lot faster than us in our own respective silos, right? So like there is this massive, massive, massive sense of community uh, around, you know, the Novo product as well as our approach with uh, community banks as well. Yeah, no, I, I love it. It's fun, fun hearing about this, Michael, but probably more fun for just you and me and, and less fun for the listeners. I think they, they, they dig the career stuff and the getting by and figuring out your, your place in the world. So no, 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 all good. So let's, uh, I'd love to start wrapping this up and, and, uh, let you leave it with, you know, advice, advice you have for someone that was in your shoes pre car accident. Hopefully they don't have to go through the car accident piece of it to, to get their world shaken up. But, but what do you tell someone like that that's trying to figure out their place in the world, maybe things aren't quite right for them. Um, and they're driven, smart, motivated, hardworking. Um, but they, they just need a little boost. Okay. Give me, do me a favor. Give me two age groups, right? Cause you're, that, that, that is large. Is this like right outside of college? Is this during college? Is this outside of college and worked a couple of years? Give me what, what, what persona do you want me to speak to? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, you've, you've got your first job, 
it's like, maybe it's a great job. Maybe it's your dream job. Like it was for me working in investment banking. Maybe it's not, maybe it's something else. And you're still trying to like get that dream job, but like figuring out, uh, you know, what your real purpose is in life versus what society tells you you should be doing. Cool. Um, yeah, so I, I don't have a very, um, I don't have a super, what's the word? Uh, I, I don't have a very uh, average view on this, obviously, given my experience, right? Um, what I tell people, all the kids I mentor, all the people I speak with, and if I were you know, to do it all over again, I just tell people to take risks. Um, and it's something that my parents have always been incredible, incredible at. Um, it's just, you know, empowering me to take risks. Obviously, different people can have different appetites for risk. But in order for you to find, you know, that quote unquote dream job or dream industry or what have you, the only way you're going to find it is by taking risks. Right. There's no way you're ever going to be at your current job, whether it's dead end or not, whether you're just unhappy with it. There's no way you're going to be there behind a computer reading blog articles and saying, oh, wow, look, I, I think it'd be great for me to become a Twitch streamer for the rest of my life. Right. Like that, that would literally never happen. That would never fall into your lap. Or you would never say, hey, you know what? I think Etsy has, you know, a great opportunity to, to pose widget sellers. Right. Maybe I should become a, a widget seller. It's all a matter of like investing some actual time and resources into whatever these ideas may be uh, for these people to just to flush out the idea itself. Right. Because the I don't want to call it a trick, but really the trick that both you and I fell for is kind of like just because it's there and we're good at it probably means we should do it. Right? So it's like whatever is served up first is probably not what you should take. And, and that's not super logical because that's how the mind usually trains the human body, right? It's like whatever is easiest to get, you should get um, just for sheer survival. Um, but like it's all about taking risk and going out of your comfort zone in order to test things that you normally wouldn't have tested um, in order to actually just continue de-risking, right, that next jump. I'm not saying, you know, for people to quit their jobs and, you know, go try and learn how to become an acrobat um, and find their passion that way. Um, but it is, you know, you, you have to start chipping away at, at, the, at the puzzle and just start, you know, taking baby steps towards solving that, uh, that massive, massive question. I know it's, I know it's not easy. So it's just a matter of getting up and doing something. Yeah. I agree. Something is directly related to it is, you know, almost not, not a consequence of it. Yep. I mean, you can take, as you said, uh, trapeze classes on the nights and weekends, or like, look at me, you can start a podcast just on the side and then it grows into something. And then like, you've got a side project and then you start to see what's interesting in that space. And you, like, you just got to go do. Exactly. One of our things that we say no, is just do more. Love it. I, I love it. Well, Michael, this was awesome to speak with you. I mean, what a, what a story, super, super inspiring and just really 
uh, very enjoyable to hear. So thanks for coming on. No, you got it. Thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow. Also, leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks. Thanks.